0: One of the values is that we try to, we actually have to hear one another. And the only, you can't make peace with yourself. You have to make peace with your enemies. And so if there is any way out of this, ultimately there's going to have to be peace negotiations and peace discussions. But you can't come in there with such hatred that you can't have a conversation. So I think this is a something, of something that we need to be thinking and talking about. It might be too soon to talk, but we have to remember those values in our in our briefcase, if you will, to be able to utilize them when we need them. And people talk a lot about Tikkun Olam and Judaism, the healing and repair of our world. And how do we do that? What are the concrete steps to helping to do that?
1: In this episode, we delve into a profound discourse with Rabbi Dennis Egger, a standout leader in the international Jewish community celebrated for her favor towards social justice activism. Having founded the congregation Kol Ami in West Hollywood, California, Rabbi Egger's significant contributions to Reform Judaism and the LGBTQ communities have molded her into a figure of inspiration. Together, we explore her journey as the first openly LGBTQ plus person to serve in her position in the Central Conference of American Rabbis and the first woman elected as president of the Southern California Board of Rabbis. The conversation takes us through the thorny intersections of faith, identity, and activism questioning how one navigates through these socially and personally challenging dimensions. Judaism in the USA is largely comprised of three main branches, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox Judaism. Reform Judaism the largest branch in the US, espouses a progressive interpretation of Jewish laws, traditions, and practices accommodating modern sensibilities and emphasizing social justice. Conservative Judaism attempts to strike a balance between preserving Jewish tradition while allowing for some degree of modernization. On the other hand, Orthodox Judaism maintains a stricter interpretation and adherence to traditional Jewish laws, rituals, and practices. Also known as LGBT synagogues, they are places of worship that cater specifically to LGBTQ Jewish community members. These spaces offer an inclusive environment for all individuals regardless of their sexual orientation or gender identity. These synagogues reflect a commitment to equality and diversity, embracing everyone from different Jewish traditions, including Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox branches. Key examples include the Congregation Beit Simchat Torah in New York, Congregation Kol Ami in West Hollywood, California, and the Chicago-based Congregation Hadash. Please welcome Rabbi Egger. Hello, hello.
0: Hello, Michael. I'm happy to be with you.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. The listeners have no idea what uh, a whole operation we had because uh, recording during the war, while there are so many changes with our team, with our guests, with people who decided to, to boycott us. But we found also lots of allies who helped us. And I uh, also want to thank uh, a wider bridge that made the connection between us. And I have to say that as someone who was born and raised in Israel, but luckily for me, I had the opportunity of traveling around the world. My parents are are Jewish, secular Jewish, but I was always looking for some value and some spirituality. And my mom, who immigrated from the former Soviet Union, she always told me how her grandfather was a rabbi. And it never worked for me. How can it be to both being an LGBT and being Jewish? And then, luckily enough, I once I was in uh, New York City, then I went to CBST to take congregation, and I love telling in my podcast about the experience that I had there. I have to say, I still, I'm a baby in terms of uh, global and American Judaism. So, I'm very glad that that we have you here. And I have to say, when this horrible war started, and I think that it doesn't matter in what side we support or if there is a need for sides, but I think that we can all agree that this was a very traumatic and difficult. It's horrible. I think I have no words to describe what happened. And I was looking for a lot of hope. And I was searching for in the internet about different people who who were Jewish and LGBT. And talk about spirituality and in a way where it can be joined together and can empower us and i think we, which is something very important in these times and and then i was luckily enough to find you and read a little bit and uh, enjoying following you on instagram and here we are and you're in my podcast so hello <laughs>
0: hello i'm happy to be here and happy to talk with you today
1: so thank you very much rabbi and bef- Maybe if you can, we can start immediately, if maybe you can take your magic wound and spread a bit of, about of, what thoughts do you have? What messages do you have to our listeners in such times that, that we are having, such crazy times that we are passing through?
0: Yeah, this, is, this has been for all of us around the world. I know so much so for Israelis and for all who live in Israel, a time of horror uh, and a time of great anxiety and pain. And also for those of us who care and love Israel around the world. We stand in solidarity with the people of Israel, with the aims to bring our hostages home, because while they're Israeli and Thai and Canadian and American, many nationalities, they were taken hostages because they were working and living in Israel. And this is, it's just an anathema. It's something that I don't go every single day I wear my blue ribbon and, and as a sign of support that we don't forget, not a single mullet, of the hostages that were taken so brutally and of the massacre that happened in the south of Israel. And so every day, pray. Every day, we read everything that there is to read in Israeli papers and American papers and British papers around the world to try and get any snippet of good news. And so uh, for me as a rabbi, particularly, I turn to our Jewish teachings for support and help. And we have a long history of praying from the book of Psalms to heal him when there is a crisis, when there is uh, problems, when there is troubles. And we add a special healing prayers and special looking at the book of Psalms at this time for our hope. And, you know, it, it says hope in God, be strong. And and that's what we have to continue to do, is hope in one another as extensions of the divine in the world. You know, Judaism thinks that human beings are are God's hands in the world, right? To do good, to be love, and to be kindness. And sadly, we know that there's a time for peace and there's a time for war, says the book of Ecclesiastes, Kohelet. And sadly, this is a time of war. Because we must get those people returned.
1: At least for some Israelis, I think that sometimes it can be very conflictive, especially in times which, like now, going through times that in some way our loyalty is being examined all the time. And I think that it's even a higher standard for minorities, just like being a queer minority in Israel, in a society. Um, Do you have, which is maybe related to that, of how can we find that balance between those different loyalties that, that that we have to show, for instance, now in, in Israel, while for uh, the last year before the war started, there were different politicians and ministers who strongly disagreed about the rights of uh, LGBTQ plus people. And well, now there were a few changes ab- about that, hopefully it will remain also after, after the war. But I think more and more people are now going through some kind of self-questioning of like, how do I identify myself? To which group am I part of? Or do I have to be a part of a group? And the whole discourse is also changing now. So I wanted to ask if you have any...
0: I think it's a great (laughs) question because every human being navigates multiple identities. As queer people, we are always navigating our queer identity in a world that is primarily not queer, right? So as a lesbian... I'm always a lesbian, but there's times where, you know, I, other parts of my identity as a wife comes more forward, as a mother comes more further. I'm soon to be a booby, if you can believe that. So like, that will be a different part of my identity. As a progressive, as a Zionist, we all wear many hats and we all have many identities. And we don't pay attention so much because they shift all the time within us when one has more to the forefront than the other. But the truth is we're always all part of ourselves. The trick is not to compartmentalize and not to say, okay, can I only let my queer identity show here? Uh, here I can only let my Jewish identity show here. And for me, that was part of my work as a rabbi is to not, is this work of schlemut, of completeness, of wholeness, that God wants us to be whole in who we are all the time. That I didn't have to separate my queerness from my Judaism. They were integrated in part. And the same thing is true for Israelis who are going through this. Listen, I, over the last year, I was in Israel four, four, four times for four major trips, bringing people to Israel, bringing clergy to, Christian queer ministers to Israel with a wider bridge. I brought a group from my synagogue last May and June to travel to Israel. I came several times with my own family to visit my family. And each of those times I stood in the streets at Count Kaplan Street in Tel Aviv as part of a Saturday night protest or in Jerusalem, a Saturday night protest to protest the government and to protest what was going on with this. Their move to basically dilute the Supreme Court and that in June we were there for pride in Jerusalem and in Tel Aviv with my congregation and to march with the queer community in Israel to celebrate who we are, and also against those politicians in Israel who are frankly funded, a lot of their funding comes from the crazies in America who are anti-LGBT as well. This is not just isolated. I want your listeners to hear this. But in a time of crisis that Israel is in now is a different kind of crisis. And the war means that the unity that is Clearly being felt in Israel of purpose, of singular purpose, is the right move at this time. It doesn't mean the other issues have gone away or that politics, there will be a reckoning. I believe a big reckoning. And I think that those that control can, the current can you government. explain
1: a bit just about the reckoning? The reckoning, like the about, reckoning will uh, be that
0: Mr. Netanyahu will have to account for his multiplicity of sins. Not just the failure of what happened on October 7th, but his graft, his poisoning of the political system by bringing in radicals like Smotrish and Benjiva. I don't believe that this experience of coming together in unity for... Let me say it this way. I do believe that this experience of coming together in unity from the massacres and the horrible moments of October 7th, I think will have important important ramifications going forward once the war is over and i believe those people will be held accountable for their actions prior to october 7th so i think israel will be changed and i think we are already seeing the heroism of the idf we're seeing the heroism of the israeli people who've come together to feed and to clothe across lines we're seeing haredim Come and help and enlist. Who people who have never done national service are now invested in doing national service in Israel in a different way because there's a different inflection point, and that's what I mean. There's going to be a reckoning, and so I think uh, it's too soon to say what exactly will be the fallout from all of this, but. As we saw that even the Knesset that's been so hostile over this last months of this year, since this government formed to LGBT concerns, even with Ohana being speaker in the Knesset, we've seen the bills that have come forward that are anti-LGBT in Israel. But what happened after October 7th? The Knesset passed that. Is gay Israeli soldiers, queer Israeli soldiers, spouses, if they fall in battle, the spouses will be treated no different. And that already is a huge turning point that has come out of this.
1: I really agree about the changes that are happening now in the society. I think that most of the changes that uh, will be for the long run, we, we still cannot even imagine.
0: Can. And I have
1: a few questions about that also related to uh, Sinat Chinam and Tikkun Olam. But before that, I would like to ask you, uh, dear Rabbi, uh, also we just spoke about the Israeli perspective and about how this uh, issue affects Israel. But this war also affects and makes changes in so many other societies. It makes, of course, changes with de- generally in, the, in in the world, in Europe, among queer activism, in the Jewish discourse or discourses. And, of course, it also affects the Palestinians. It affects so many different people. So maybe now we spoke um, a little about about Israel um, and before I will ask, I'm telling already the next question, (laughs) so before I ask also about how it affects the discourse in the U.S., and and I'm sure also that the changes happening in the U.S. politics and discourse are also affecting, but let's talk for a moment about the world, because from what we see, and I would like also if we can also look on that from a Jewish perspective, also in terms of value of Judaism. Because I've been, I really believe <laughs> in tikkun olam, yes. in making a world a better place. That's what probably made me to be an activist. I always say that uh, it chose me and I didn't not chose yes. that, be- becoming a professional homosexual. And for me, it happened because of uh, when I was 15, uh, I grew up in the the north, in the periphery in Aria, and I almost uh, got killed by a rocket that fell next to me. Uh, It was too old, so it did not explode. So I've got my life back. And I'm very thankful for that. This is what created me to be an entrepreneur or Meshigane. But I think we all, the activists, we have a kind of a spark. We have a kind of a a will of wanting to make a positive change in the world. And I think that now in terms of uh, being queer, I have to say that for me it became very difficult to be both queer and Israeli. Although I have a lot of criticism about the stuff happened that are happening in Israel. Yet I have to say uh, when the, this war started, I went to, to Europe and we have several people who we were supposed to interview for some a- episodes and they are boycotting us now. I'm getting different messages in the morning of Israel, equal uh, Nazi. I can't find how mathematically it can work even. Like how a a Jewish person can be, and it was sent by queer activists. This thing terrifies me, I have to say. I think that we're seeing a kind... yes. Please.
0: (laughs) No, it it shouldn't. It is terrifying because there's a lack. Michael, you're so right. There's a lack of understanding in our LGBTQ community worldwide, I believe, about the terror that is being faced in Israel that is also really directed at them. And I don't think it's very easy to be an armchair uh, activists or watch in the streets when you're feeling relative safety, when you have your rights, when you can go as a queer person, anywhere you want to go. It's a very different story when you're living in fear. I don't think particularly in the United States, it's, there's been a turn as well here too. I, yes, this past, this past week is a great story. I've recently moved to Texas and there's a new gay paper. That's was, is being put out here in, in, in Austin, which is the state capital. And it, in the, I wrote an op-ed, an opinion piece for the first edition. That was just my reflections just a few days after October 7th. And I went to the party for the launch party a few days ago. And the publisher of the paper said he was getting tremendous pushback because of my op-ed from friends and from other queer activists who are now boycotting the paper. He said to them, come and write something if you want, and I'll publish that. Of course, they didn't do it. But there's a lack of information, a lack of understanding about the force of what Hamas, Hezbollah, and their particular brand of hatred is also filled not just with anti-Israel sentiment, Why is it about anti-Israel? It's anti-Jewish. And as someone who's worked in the queer community for, as a professional homosexual myself for more than 30 years, just like you as an activist, for more than 30 years as a leader of a LGBTQ Jewish community, there has always been anti-Semitism in the gay community. Always. But what has happened in especially... Uh, over the course of the last number of years, has been it just it's been increasing. It's been increasing, and the lens with which that anti-Semitism expresses itself is through anti-Israel activism. And I think for Israelis who live in a majority Jewish culture, majority right Israeli culture, even if you're secular, even if you're Hiloni, you're not that you There's an you're safeguarded from that. For those live, of us that live outside of Israel, who are Jewish, whether you live in Europe or you live in Asia, or you live in North America, you we're seeing it in much more deep and dark ways than we've ever seen it before. I do think that we, we have to be more articulate. Part of the issue is that we're a small people. We're only 16 million people worldwide. And though anti-Semites range in the billion, and in a time of viral social media, it's a drop we're a drop in the bucket from what those messages when the Haddad family has millions and millions of followers versus i don't know how on social media versus what you have, you can't get your message out because of the way the logarithms are written. You can't.
1: And also, a lot of it is about uh, the way content works today. is not about yes. how deep it is, but no. it's about how fast it is. And we're missing yes. some roots here.
0: We're missing deep roots and we're missing logic. We're missing logic. They also don't, they have, it has nothing to do with truth or logic. To call Jews Nazis is illogical. I have family. That were in the camps, most Jews had some connection. We're not Nazis, but it's easier to paint that image because it's about image. It's not about thoughtfulness. And this is serious.
1: Do you see any difference in terms of the attitudes in false situations? Any difference between? stuff happening in some countries which are not the U.S. compared with the U.S. Let's leave aside Israel for a moment, yeah? But within the Jewish discourse and especially the, the queer discourse, because uh, there's something, I, I have to say, very, very tragic seeing queer activists mm. who've been a minority, who are a minority, Boycotting another minority, uh, one of uh, uh, the activists from the US who I followed, not anymore, she's locked. Uh, I follow you instead. <laughs> uh, so she's a, an Hispanic uh, activist in, in the US, comparing uh, Hamas and Palest- supporting Hamas and supporting Palestinians, which is not the same, and equaling it to supporting feminism. <laughs> I'm sure we have a lot to say about this other e- e- illogical thing. And I wanted once again to ask, do you see any difference? For instance, this is an example that I saw in the U.S., but do you see, is, is this, the, are the same things are, which are happening in Europe, are the same happening in the U.S.? Are there any yes. differences around that?
0: I don't really know. I would, from my, from what I'm reading and what I'm seeing and seeing on social media and talking to friends uh, around the world. It isn't any different, whether we're talking about the, my Jewish queer friends in Argentina or Canada. They're all experiencing the similar tsunami of hatred and a tsunami of lack of understanding. our connections with the land of Israel, our indigeneity. I always laugh what Hispanic people telling me that Palestinians are the are are, are indigenous as if Jews had no history in the land of israel like this is like all of a sudden Mm -hmm. jews didn't just come to the land of israel in 1948 my entire religion my entire experience expression of life is tied to the land of israel why is the jewish holidays celebrated the way they are because it's tied to the calendar and the agricultural cycles and the rain and weather cycles of the land of israel so even if you live in a place where fall where sukkot the fall holiday, that, which was the end, which is when the massacre occurred on 10-7, was the last days of the Jewish holiday of Sukkot and Simchat Torah, right? Even if you live in a place where it wasn't the fall, and you lived down on the south side of the equator of our planet, you still celebrate it as a harvest holiday, even if you're busy planting. Why? Because it's the land of Israel's time. And this lack of this is this shallowness, this lack of understanding um it it is very serious and it's very dangerous and we have to it means that the Jewish people worldwide have to cling to one another, I think more closely. There's been such a gap between often Israel and the diaspora, and uh, particularly with this government they've they've increased the gap by ignoring diaspora jews and a diaspora Jews' opinion, but I think this is an opportunity to show how we need each other that much. I've
1: been asking you some questions, and then you also started to ask some questions, which are even, I didn't even deal with them. So can you start with that question that you just have said?
0: We've talked a lot about what's happened since uh, October 7th, not just what happened on that day and the horror of that day. I think maybe your listeners around the world don't understand, will be... A moment in Jewish history that is pivotal for the Jewish people, not just Israelis, but will be a pivotal day for the Jewish people. So I want to say that it's too soon to create rituals, which we will do as the Jewish people, which is our coping mechanism. And because the Jewish, we have a value of zachor of remember that is thread throughout Jewish history. That is very important. So it remains to be seen yet how we will remember, acknowledge, observe, mourn the annual date, its annual time, religiously, as part of the expression of our peoplehood. So that's the first thing. But, but we can't ignore the other values. And so even in this time of war, we are not blind to the pain and suffering of Palestinians and what they're going through. So how do you have Fesed? How do you have loving kindness in a time of war, right? This is a, it's a very powerful and important question. And if we can't try and figure that out and we can't ask that question, then have, we have to ask if we've lost our humanity. Because it is a mark of humanity. Kindness is a mark of what makes us.
1: Can you please, for those who don't know about Fesed, if you can just... Uh...
0: Fesed is the value. It means loving-kindness is the best way. It's not just kindness. It's not just love in English, but it is the fusion of loving-kindness. It is a generous attitude and expression of acknowledging someone else's humanity that we also find in Jewish values of Bethelom Elohim, that all human beings were created in the divine image. And in fact, in the mystical part of Judaism, in Kabbalah, and the mystical traditions, chesed is one of the names of God. So if we see this as a divine expression in the world, how do we have chesed? To ourselves, to our neighbors, to our family, to people we disagree with? And in this particular situation of the war that we're in, how do we have chesed for our enemy? Can we have chesed for our enemy? Can we have kindness, loving kindness? What is loving kindness? Is loving kindness that the IDF will liberate Gaza from the terror of Hamas for the Palestinians? Is that considered loving kindness? Because it doesn't, the expression of it doesn't seem like it, right? With bombing and war, machines. But the Palestinians in Gaza have been living also under the threat of these horrible people as well. Of an ideology that has perverted Islam.
1: Also LGBTQ plus people cannot be who they are under such regimes.
0: It's so interesting. I'm glad you raised that because, Michael, I can't tell you as a rabbi who has long been a Zionist. I'm a Zionist from the day of my birth. My family were always Zionists. We had family in Israel that made Aliyah. At one time I contemplated Aliyah, but eventually decided that wasn't going to be so easy for a queer reform rabbi to be a, a rabbi in the land of Israel at that time. Too
1: bad. Um, we need you there. We
0: do. I'd never say never, right? You never, we haven't given up that hope. One I have day a spare coming.
1: room in uh, Haifa, just saying. <laughs> Haifa
0: is a marvelous city too, right? It's a place of Jewish-Arab cooperation in many places in the city.
1: Actually, yes. I have to say that almost half of my gay friends in Haifa are Arab or of Palestinians. Course. Also some of the workers of straight friendly of course we all live together
0: We're it's really one family we're really cousins this is the irony and the horror of all of this i think for me as someone who has lived in israel at different times who longs to go to israel who for going to israel is not just a vacation to me it's part of my religious obligation to make pilgrimages to israel and to bring others to israel we have to have that sense of chesed, that sense of loving kindness for everybody we encounter. And for LGBTQ people in particular, um, I can't tell you how many times I was asked by uh, the Open House uh, for Tolerance in Jerusalem, which is the LGBT center in Jerusalem, or the Agudah in in Tel Aviv, to please write letters to the foreign ministry on behalf of Palestinian Person who needed asylum in Israel. I used to have to. I would every year I would get a request. Please, Rabbi, can you help us? We're trying to get asylum for a Palestinian who needs to come to Israel. They're being hunted by their family. They're being hunted by the regime. And I think this is what LGBTQ people around the world don't realize that it's not safe for LGBTQ people in, in either the West Bank or or in Gaza. So. We have to stand that chesed to, to to our fellow LGBTQ people, also to our neighbor down the street. We have to figure out how to extend that even in a time of great war, even in a time of great war.
1: I think that's a very important uh, message, which is now it's even more difficult to have chesed, but I definitely see around me one of the things that I'm afraid of First of all, I cannot deal with outside factors. I, we can also only deal with our, the inside factors. We can only deal probably, first of all, with our own society or societies. I have to say that one of the things that I'm afraid the most will be, and I didn't have the right words for that, but now you, this discussion with you helped me to find the words. I really hope that uh, in the Jewish queer communities and the Israeli communities that we will not forget about the chesed even in such difficult times and also for the future, especially when violence gets to such extreme place. And we are the most dangerous situations for societies losing their, uh, their liberal values and acceptance. Michael, uh, I wanted to say also, one thing to yes. you
0: and your listeners. I don't know if this was true in the Israeli, in the Hebrew daily papers. It was certainly true in Kind of some of the Jewish American Israeli English papers that I read every day, English versions, and in other world papers, the the Hamas soldiers who came and committed the massacre, and dragged our people across the border so violently as hostages, committed atrocities that are not only war crimes; they're just they're crimes against humanity. And oftentimes in the press, they would say, "Oh, these are monsters." When we call another human being a monster, it's the worst thing, right? It's not, they're, they're, they've lost their humanity, right? They're, but, but see, human beings are capable of great evil. And this is also actually, Khesed, is not to just say, oh, those are monsters and we're not. But to understand that this is a human being acting who has lost their humanity. And that is something that we have to also... As we think about how do we express chesed, how do we express loving kindness to not to lose our own humanity in this situation. And that's chesed towards the self.
1: So not forgetting about the responsibility people have. I also wanted to ask you about the kind of values, what kind of values and empowerment can we spread now in these difficult times, especially when we need much more chesed and, and for the yet to come?
0: I think you and I were talking a little bit at the break about this notion of Sinat right? right? In, in Jewish tradition, in the Talmud, there's a discussion about why was the second temple, the temple that Herod, King Herod rebuilt, why was the second temple destroyed in the year 70 by the Romans, right? Well, it was an act of war. We know that, right? The Romans burned it down and took siege of Jerusalem, right? It was a horrible time. It destroyed ancient Judaism and gave birth to what we now call rabbinic Judaism, where rabbis were the community leaders, not priests. We don't do animal sacrifice anymore, OK. But I mean, it was a really horrible and traumatic moment, and that was part of the Jewish people's dispersal around the world. The Romans enslaved many Jews and sent us around the world, because the Roman Empire was a worldwide and the rabbis, when they were reflecting about why did the, was the temple destroyed, they wrote about, not the Romans so much. They wrote about that it was sinat finam, that it was hatred towards our fellow Jew, a lack of unity, a lack of respect for differences of opinions. And I think especially in this time, that is something that is really important, not only among Jews, but among different peoples of the world, right? cancel there's a the, this whole business of cancel culture that you cancel somebody out and you dox them and you destroy them because they have a different opinion than you say he it's hatred of the other and one of the values is that we try to we actually have to hear one another and the only you can't make peace with yourself you have to make peace with your enemies and so if there is any way out of this, ultimately, there's going to have to be peace negotiations and peace discussions. But you can't come in there with such hatred that you can't have a conversation. So I think this is a something, of something that we need to be thinking and talking about. It might be too soon to talk, but we have to remember those values in our briefcase, if you will, to be able to hold, utilize them when we need them. People talk a lot about Tikkun Olam in Judaism, the healing and repair of our world. And how do we do that? What are the concrete steps to helping to do that? And sometimes they're big things on a global basis, and sometimes they're just small things, right? It's making sure that the people around you are clothed and fed. Somebody's not sleeping on the streets, right? Those things can play out in government policy, right? How do we take care of people who don't have homes? How do we feed people who are poor and impoverished? And Judaism has. Deep teachings about communal welfare and taking care of one another, and in fact, when we give charity, when we give to money to help take care, it's not just charity or noblesse oblige or philanthropy, which is a Greek word from philos, but it is tzedakah. It is justice, because you are righting the wrong, you are healing the break in the that caused. Why we have to make that tikkun. So I think these are their values, but they have to be lived every day. They're not just slogans on a bumper sticker on the back of your car. I'm very
1: cherishing uh, what you were saying. We have video here in us. I, I admit that I've, I've shed even a tear because I think it's very brave talking about also about the peace. And we can, as you said, it, We cannot make peace only with ourselves. And as someone who I believe in about the destruction of Sinat Chinam and about the importance of of Tikkun Olam, and I I have to say that I'm very worried. And actually one of my biggest worries as a queer activist who deals also not only with Israel, I deal a lot also with, with Palestinian queer communities and many other countries. And the current discourse and situation of almost every minority, any LGBT, when being in school or high school, probably knew what it feels like to be alone when people in society decide to boycott. It's very painful for me to see. I think which happened in Israeli society during the last years, at least a decade, and especially the last year with the current government, government where is in which the israeli society was so much into hating each other and splitting to so many different groups and i really hope that we will have some messages that will not be only about convincing the convinced because i think that there's something here that we can take as a lesson from judah not only for jewish people but generally for queer activists no matter in in what country in in the world and what is happening now seeing so many Queer activists around the world boycotting us or others, this can be the beginning of a destruction of queer communities and the, so much that happened throughout the, the last decades. And I have to say that this is a very big uh, worry for me. I think, you're, I think you're right.
0: I think it, I, I, I echo your worry because so many queer people around the world do not have this, even the safety and comfort that you and I have in America and in Israel. They are endangered, their lives are endangered. And even in the United States, we've seen uh, tremendous 350 laws in different locations around the United States against trans people, being able to simply live their lives or to get the medical care they need. And let alone what's happening in Africa, in African countries that are so anti-LGBT. We have to help be their voices around the world. And the queer community has to understand that we need each other as queer people. Also, that there has to be a unique bond for us to take care of our own because nobody else is. My newest book is Seven Principles for Living Bravely, which people can get on Amazon. I co-wrote it with my best minister friend, Christian minister friend, Reverend Neil Thomas, who was also a gay man. And this book came out of our shared experiences serving queer communities during the height of the AIDS crisis, in the late 80s and 90s, 1990s, and during the height of the coronavirus pandemic. We talked about one of our shared spiritual principles in Judaism and Christianity that we learned from dealing with AIDS and dealing with coronavirus. And in the book, we talk about resilience and how do we build courage when you feel completely alone and depleted. And it has, this book has a queer voice because it's both of our teachings and both of our writings. And we talk about taking some time, The time is really important, time to mourn our losses as queer people, right? We had to mourn the number of people that died from HIV around the world. If you were, for those of us that were alive and in the heart of it in the late, in the 80s and the 90s before there were drugs that helped people live a long time. We had to learn how to mourn, and we created new ways to mourn. And we had to take time, as you said, we had to... You said to me earlier in our podcast today that sometimes all you can do is laugh, right? Because laughter, humor, we have to take time. Humor is born out of tragedy. That's why the symbol for drama is the two masks, one smiling and one frowning, right? Because humor is often born out of tragedy. And it is a coping mechanism for human beings to figure out how to laugh and embrace joy even in the midst of tragedy. So these are just some of the seven principles that we highlight. But, But again, queer people need to do this. Jewish people need to do this. Palestinian people will need to do this as well to rebuild our lives in a healthy way. And if we can um, share those principles with one another, that's a step towards the tikkun that you talk about, the healing. Rabbi Egger,
1: I thank you very much. Uh, Before we finish, is there any last thing that you would like to add here in this episode?
0: Can I read a prayer? I'd like to share a prayer with you. My other book that came out just at the beginning of the coronavirus, March 2021, is called Mishkan Gava, Where Pride Dwells. It's a book of prayer, queer Jewish prayers for every occasion, from Shabbat dinner, from the Sabbath dinner table, to reimagine the blessings and prayers that we say to our, our, our partners, to prayers for pride, for gay pride. What's the prayer for marching in a pride parade, Michael? We have one in this book. Um, it, also available on Amazon, where pride dwells. If you push it, but and this we prayer will
1: was the, We will put also the links in the of description but, of the episode. But
0: in, in, Ju- in Judaism, every day, three times a day, we read a group of prayers called the Amidah, which is a standing prayer, right? We say it's standing, a standing mm-hmm. position. And we talk about our ancestors, we talk about the founding. Patriarchs and matriarchs of Judaism: Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob; Rebecca, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah—the founding fathers and the founding mothers of Judaism. This prayer is by a rabbi named David Deed, a gay man is now—he was a rabbinical student, a seminary student when he wrote it—but now he's a rabbi, and this is inspired by that prayer about our ancestors and it's called A Blessing for My LGBTQ Ancestors. You who fought to love, you who prayed to the same God I do, you who insisted on your dignity even when the world said you had none, you who died of AIDS while fighting for a cure so that people like me might live, you who were shot in a massacre while on a dance floor, You who could not come out and held your secret until your dying day. You who were insulted, shamed, beaten, and brutalized, yet kept walking. You who contributed your fierceness, your originality, your art, and your voice to this world. I walk in your memory. I walk this path smoothed and chartered by your sacrifice towards justice, towards holiness, towards freedom. Baruch atah gain magein Avraham ve'ezrat serah. Blessed are you, Adonai, Sarah's helper, and Abraham's shield. And I say amen to that, and I hope that your listeners will think of their LGBTQ ancestors who lived and loved, sometimes with secrets, sometimes hidden in a closet, but to celebrate who they are every day. And remember, we are all in this together. This meaning the healing of our world.
1: We're definitely together in bed, and these words are so, so, so inspiring. And I'm so thankful for for having this opportunity. And uh, Rabbi Egor, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for having me. For joining me. us. Uh, the production of this episode came to reality thanks to the support of the Friedrich Naumann Foundation for Freedom in Jerusalem, and also huge, huge, huge thanks to a wider bridge. Uh, to all the team that uh, connected us with uh, Rabbi Eger. And of course, thank you, the listeners. And don't forget, you can find more of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon. Just look for Straight Friendly also in our website at straightfriendly.com.